This morning we look at a text of scripture that describes the end of the road, the end of the race, the life of the Apostle Paul. And whenever I read these verses, I think of my father because the the last verses I read to him were from 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8. Finishing the race, keeping the faith, waiting for that day, standing before the Lord. So we turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Begin reading at verse 6 and read through verse 18. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. At my first offense, no one supported me. But all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words that you have given. Words from a man who knew his time on earth was short. And yet in the midst of that, Lord, he trusted you. He was encouraged in you. And Father, I pray that you would use these words to help us, Lord, to be ready for that day when we come to the end of the road. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What is it like to come to the end of the road and you know that very soon your life is going to end? I can't tell you what it's like from personal experience, at least not yet. I mean, that day could come, we we don't know. But based upon what I've seen in all my years of ministry, this is what I've learned. It depends on whether you face death with Jesus or without Jesus. And I have seen a a huge difference. When you know the Lord and you're coming to the end of the road, you have hope. But when you don't know Jesus and you don't know where you're going to spend eternity, there is a huge difference in facing that day. Listen to what it's like for those who face death without Jesus. Voltaire, the famous infidel who spent 
many of his years of life of fighting Christianity, he cried out with his last breath, I am abandoned by God and man, I shall go to hell. Hobbes the atheist said, I am taking a fearful leap in the dark. Sir Thomas Scott, Chancellor of England many years ago said, Until this moment, I thought there was neither God nor hell. But now I know and feel that there are both, and I am doomed to perdition by the just judgment of the Almighty. You do not want to face death in that way. Having no hope because you don't know the Lord. Contrast that with those who died with Jesus. D.L. Moody said, this is glorious. Earth receding, heaven opening, God is calling me, he said. John Antler said, the chariot has come and I'm ready to jump in. John Wesley said, best of all, God is with us. We see that in this passage of Scripture where Paul is describing to Timothy that his life is about to end. He says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. He is in a Roman prison cell awaiting what he believes is certain death. And yet the tone of this passage is not gloom, it's not despair, it's not hopelessness. In the midst of that, there's several ways in which Paul is encouraged. Let's focus on some of those this morning. Notice, first of all, the encouragement of God's justice. Before Paul looks ahead to what lies before him, he's looking back on his ministry. And he's able to say that he was faithful to the calling that God had given him in spite of how challenging it was. Verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. We know that from the time that Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus until the day he died, life for him was not easy. In fact, one of the pictures that he gives here is that of a battle. He tells Timothy that he had fought the good fight. The battle that Paul fought was, was I would say, more difficult than, than any of us will likely ever face. Think of the ridicule, think of the hatred, he was beaten, he was jailed, he was stoned. Almost everywhere he went, injustice was the norm for him. What a a life, a challenging life he lived. But if you look at verse 8, you see how Paul was looking forward to the day when he would stand before Jesus, because that would change everything. He says in verse 8, in the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I find it interesting that he describes the Lord here in this context as the righteous judge, because he knows what it is like to stand before the unrighteous judge. Who is he standing before? 
He is standing before the most powerful, unrighteous judge on the face of the earth at that time, the Roman Emperor Nero. And if you've read anything about Nero, you know how much he hated believers, how much he hated the church, and how he persecuted them to no end. So Paul is standing before that man, his tribunal, and he's convinced that his days on earth are about to end, and yet he, he, he's not in despair. We don't sense any hopelessness here. He was about to meet not the unrighteous judge, but the righteous judge, who will award him with the crown of righteousness, and he will live forever in a place of Righteousness. So the contrast couldn't be sharper. Standing before this ungodly, unrighteous Roman Emperor Nero, awaiting the day when he stood before the righteous judge, the Lord Jesus. And Paul believed what Peter says about heaven in 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 13, but according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Do you ever feel like righteousness has vanished from the world in which we live? Boy, I'll tell you, these last few years, it's like, what kind of a world are we living in? It just seems like righteousness has been thrown away, and there's injustice Everywhere. And I'm reminded that this world, it's not my home. I am just passing through. And Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says that as believers in Jesus, our citizenship is in heaven. And if you know Jesus, your name is written in heaven in that Lamb's book of life. And heaven will be a place of righteousness where the righteous dwell and where the righteous judge will reward his children. When you know Jesus, the, the, the future is, is, is better, right? The best is yet to come. And as Paul is standing there, he is rejoicing. He is encouraged that one day he'll stand before not the unrighteous judge, but the righteous judge. So there's the first encouragement. The second encouragement that Paul's experience, encouragement of God's people. God's people. He's sitting in a Roman prison, and, and we get the, the impression that it is getting lonely for him because many of his friends who were with him before, for various reasons, were now gone. I counted at least six of them. Verse 10, Demas. This was a discouragement, I'm sure. Having loved this present world has deserted Paul and gone to Thessalonica. The other ones, I think, were not like Demas. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Verse 12, Tychicus, Paul sent him to Ephesus. Verse 20, Erastus remained at Corinth and Trophimus at Miletus. See, if all these Friends of his who were, were no longer with him. 
And so he's in that Roman prison cell and he desires the fellowship of God's people. So, so he tells Timothy in verse 9, he says, make every effort to come to me soon. Verse 21, make every effort to come before winter. Verse 11, pick up Mark and, and, and bring him with you also. Paul needed the encouragement of God's people. He needed them to be with him in those final days of his life. Come, Timothy. Come soon. Come before winter and bring Mark with you. Kent Hughes says, the Apostle Paul understood the importance of friends, and especially the importance of friends during these tough times. Years earlier, while he was ministering in Macedonia, he became so exhausted by external conflicts and interferes about the work and about the relentless fact that his body had no rest, that he became downcast. Paul describes his, his being downcast. But notice how Titus was there to encourage him. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within. But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Isn't it interesting that there are times in our lives when we go through those discouraging times and God sends someone our way and we say, praise God, you've come. There's something about that encouragement. I think of times visiting people in the hospital when they're sick and, and I'm nothing special, but when you come to see them, oh, it's so good to see you. There's something about that when you're facing hard times that the encouragement of God's people is so is so wonderful. Paul had mentioned earlier in this letter to Timothy about a man by the name of Onesiphorus. So if you're looking, uh, those of you who are going to have babies in the future, there's a good one, Onesiphorus. And notice what Paul says about him, 2 Timothy 1, verse 15. He says, you are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Among them are Phygelus and Hermogenes. I wouldn't pick those names. Verse 16, then he says, The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But, he, but when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched me out and found me. Isn't that great? Here was a man who loved the apostle, and Paul says, he refreshed me. He searched for me, and he found me. Now, it's interesting, because sometimes we look at a man like the apostle Paul, and we picture in our minds this man who was so solid in his faith, he didn't need anyone, right? Right? Is that true? Mm -mm. I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've walked with the Lord, how strong you are in your relationship to Him. You need other people. Don't stay away from people. You need to be with those in the family of God. 
Are you willing to admit your need for others? Or are you like one of those who is so self-sufficient? I can handle it. I don't need any help, right? I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. Some of you have that tendency. You're pretty self-sufficient. Your spouse told me. No, I'm not kidding. I'm not really. But. And so I ask you, are you connected in a group of believers who can encourage you and pray with you and keep you accountable? Huh? Paul knew he needed that. The encouragement of God's people. And we need that as well. There are many opportunities in our congregation to be involved in some kind of small group ministry where you have that encouragement, that fellowship. Notice thirdly, the encouragement of God's Word. God's Word. I find it interesting when Paul told Timothy to come to him soon. What did he ask him to bring? Verse 13, when you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus, and the books, especially the parchments. Now you can understand why he needed a cloak, right? Because he told Timothy, come before winter. When you went outside this morning, are you sensing that winter is coming? Okay. And this was a very practical thing Paul needed, a very practical way that Timothy could be an encouragement to him. So don't, don't forget those practical ways of encouraging, right? I don't know if it would be a new coat for someone, but some very tangible way to say, I'm thinking of you, I care about you, I, I support you. So bring the, bring the cloak, Paul says, and then the books, but especially the parchments. What were the parchments? Many Bible scholars believe that that was a reference to the Scriptures. Uh, Some of Paul's uh, copies of Old Testament Scriptures. And if that is the case, it highlights something, doesn't it, about what Paul thought was important. He's coming to the end of the road. What do you want at the end of the road? Time magazine? Hardly. You want something that's going to encourage you as you face your your last days of life, right? So more than anything else, Paul wanted to meditate on the Word of God because he knew that's where you find encouragement and hope. How do I know he knew that? Because he wrote about that. Romans 15.4, here's what Paul wrote. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us So that through endurance, did he need that? Absolutely. And the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. If there was ever a time when he needed hope, wasn't it now? He says, the time of my departure has come. I've come to the end of the road. And Timothy, what I need is those parchments. I want to spend time in God's Word. My uh, dad visited a lady in the hospital many years ago. And he walked into that hospital room and she was crying. And he asked her, why are you crying? 
She said, there's no hope for me. And her dad says, what do you mean? Here's what the doctor told her, if you can believe it. He said to her, you won't need next year's calendar. Can you imagine that? You won't need next year's calendar. In other words, you're going to die. And she was weeping there. She said, there's no hope for me. What do you think my dad did? Talk about the weather? Talk about the ball game? Oh no. He said, there is hope for you. He said, there is a living hope for you. And that living hope is found in Jesus. And he opened up the Word of God to her. She experienced the grace and mercy of God that day. And she understood for the first time what it is to have hope. Hope in Jesus. And when you come to the end of the road, that's what you need. You need hope in Jesus. And it's a living hope. It doesn't die when you die. Because there is glory awaiting. The hope of God's Word. That's why we need to spend time in the Word of God. That's where we're encouraged. That's where we're strengthened. That's where we find hope. Don't rely just on Sunday morning when I come, you come and I, like my dad used to say, you get spoon-fed, right? You need to dig in the Word day by day. That's where you find hope. The encouragement of God's Word. And then finally we notice the encouragement of God's presence. God's presence. In verse 16, Paul tells Timothy about the first phase of his trial there before the Roman tribunal. When he needed the support of God's people, they weren't there. That's why he was asking Timothy to come. Because look at verse 16. He says, At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. Can you imagine that? After all he had done for his fellow believers when, when he really needed them, they were nowhere to be found. Why? I suppose most of them were fearful. If we associate with this man, we're sticking our necks out. And ours might be next. So there he is. On his own. But Paul goes on to say, I wasn't really on my own. Because verse 17, he says, in spite of this, he said, the Lord stood with me. The Lord stood with me. And he strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. God protected him at that time. And Paul knew that the Lord would stand with him in Rome because He had already told Paul he would. Go back to Acts chapter 23. Paul is before the Jewish Sanhedrin. And it got so violent and dangerous there that the Roman soldiers had to come in and rescue Paul. Acts 23 verse 10 says, And as a great dissension was developing, the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. And ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. Can you imagine that? 
they thought he thought that they're going to literally tear him to pieces. What a way to die! Verse twenty-three, or verse uh, Acts twenty-three, verse eleven says, "But on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. So just as you were there in Jerusalem, you're going to be in Rome, and just as I was with you in Jerusalem, I'm going to be with you in Rome as well. And what's interesting to notice is that Paul describes his trial in verse 16 as his defense. At my first defense, no one supported me. In what way was it his defense? Well, we might think he's talking about defending himself, huh? The charges that were being brought against him, that he was defending himself. And maybe that was part of it. But Paul did more than defend himself. He proclaimed a defense of the gospel. And he turned his, tri- he turned his trial into an evangelistic meeting. That's what he did. He's standing there before the Roman emperor and his tribunal, and Paul is not defending himself. He's defending the gospel. He's pointing them to Jesus. He's using it as an opportunity to witness to those who needed to hear. Look at verse 17 again. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished. And that all the Gentiles might hear. What's the proclamation? The proclamation of the gospel. The good news of salvation. That's how God stood with him. He enabled him in the midst of a situation like that to talk about Jesus, not about himself. To proclaim the gospel of Jesus. I love what John Stott says. He says, we are now in a position to see what a superb illustration The apostle is giving Timothy of his charge to preach God's word. Paul is on trial for his life, Stott says. He has been deserted by his friends, opposed by his enemies, and unsupported in his trial by any witness. So he is alone. He says, surely now he will think of himself for a change, won't he? Surely now he will betray at least a little self-pity, won't he? Surely now he will defend himself and please his cause, won't he? Yet even now, although in grave personal danger, facing the probability of a death sentence, his overwhelming concern is not himself, but Christ. Not to be a witness in his own defense, but a witness to Christ. Not to plead his own cause, but the cause of Jesus Christ. That's how God was with him. Standing before that tribunal in whose hands was his life or death from a human standpoint. He's not defending himself. He's preaching a sermon. He's pointing these people to Jesus. I would say that's a powerful display of the presence of Christ with him 
that in a situation like that, he preached, shared the gospel. And he did that many times, didn't he? Before Felix and before King Agrippa and before the Sanhedrin, when they were brought to trial, he always told them what Jesus had done for him and how Jesus had changed his life. You know, we have a lot of opportunities to point people to Jesus, don't we? Some of them are maybe a bit challenging. But that's how God will stand with us, as he stood with Paul. There's another way the Lord would stand with him. He describes that in verse 18. He says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Although Paul's life was spared at his first defense before the Roman tribunal, he was certain that he had come to the end of the road and that it would not turn out in his favor in terms of his life here on earth was concerned. But no matter what happened, he was confident that he would be safe in the arms of Jesus. He was confident that God would rescue him and God would bring him safely to his kingdom. So sometimes, God rescues us from death. And at other times, he rescues us through death. See the difference? At his first defense, he was rescued from death. He was spared from the mouth of the lion. But now he's talking about God sparing him through death, that God will bring him safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory. I don't know if Paul was thinking of the 23rd Psalm as he wrote these words, but they certainly apply, don't they? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? What did David say? For you are with me. You are with me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. But it does not end there, right? And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The best is yet to come, isn't it? When you know Jesus. Guide us all throughout life. And then through the valley of the shadow of death, we are protected to be brought into the presence of Jesus. I find it interesting that death is pictured in Psalm 23 as a shadow. Why a shadow? You ever been hurt by a shadow? Anybody? I don't think, I didn't think so. I remember as a kid when we used to go down to the train tracks. And those uh, trains that came in from the uh, up north, the taconite, those taconite pellets, they were great for, uh, for shooting them with a, what do you call those things? Slingshot, yeah, slingshot. 
not good when your mind fails you right in front of all kinds of people, is it? Slingshot. And I can remember when those trains would come through and we would be on the other track and with the sun shining on the other side, there was a shadow of the train and we got run over by trains. Well, the shadow of the train. It was scary because those babies are heavy, you know, and that's the ground is shaking, but it was just the shadow. Didn't hurt me a bit. <laughs> never told my mom and dad about that, but it never hurt me a bit. Then it might have hurt me a bit. But that's what, what can death do to the believer? But usher them into the presence of Jesus. So when you come to the end of the road, you face it with Jesus. What does Paul say? He will rescue me from every evil and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. And no wonder he enters, ends with this then, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Oh, I trust you have that assurance today, that confidence today, that when you come to the end of the road... You'll be ushered into the presence of Jesus. And the thing about it is we don't know when that day will come, do we? I plan on being here tomorrow. I plan on preaching next Sunday, but I don't know that. None of us do. That's why it's so vital that we, that we know Jesus today. Facing those challenges of life, coming to the end of the road with Jesus. That's the safe way. That's the sure way. That's the blessed way. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, thank you for the encouragement that we have. The encouragement of your people, the encouragement of your word, the encouragement of your justice, the encouragement, Lord, of your presence throughout life and bringing us safely to glory. Oh God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you that we can live in confidence today. In Jesus' name we pray.